Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to The Point on WCAI. I'm Steve Junker. It's Friday, September 6th. This is our weekly news roundup when we discuss some of the top local news stories of the week with colleagues in the print and digital media. Joining me from the Cape Cod Times is Cindy McCormick. Good morning, Cindy. Good morning. And now a look at some of the news here around the Cape and the island. Cindy, Pilgrim Nuclear Power Station is back in the news. The state's attorney general continues to push the federal government with opposition to the way it handled the nuclear plant's recent transfer of ownership. Yes, State Attorney General Maura Healey wants a temporary stay imposed until the Nuclear Regulatory Commission makes a decision on her petition for her office to intervene in this license transfer. She submitted the petition months ago, but but the actually the NRC already has approved the license transfer to Holtec. Her con- and she's got a lot of concerns about the situation and how it was handled. Explain some of the concerns here that that are foremost with the Attorney General. Well, she's concerned about the financial ability of Holtec, which is Pilgrim's new owner, you know, uh, purchased it from Entergy, to to handle the decommissioning. And she said there's a need for an environmental assessment of the site before decommissioning begins. Now, but the NRC, as I mentioned, did already approve the license transfer from Entergy uh, on August 22nd. Uh, A a big part of this is the process, the transfer has gone through, but the Attorney General is saying that this process was flawed because the public hasn't gotten a chance to weigh in, and and there's a lot of money at stake here, too. Right, and she said that, you know, if this this deprived the, the, the public a chance to weigh in because a hearing would have been part of the process. And she said the NRC staff violated their own regulations when it failed to act on her petition. She said they were supposed to act within 45 days. And she also alleges that the NRC violated the National Environmental Policy Act uh, by approving the transfer uh, and, uh, and the use of the decommissioning fund. Although, as her application says, this is a quote, it is clear today that insufficient funds exist in the trust fund to cover all obligations necessary to protect the public and the environment. And this to the trust fund is is about a little more than a billion dollars, and it's been put there kind of to help whoever does this, whether Holtec or Energy, and now it looks like Holtec, to decommission the plant and everything that's involved with that. Right, but Holtec is operating on an assumption that... uh, more Healy saying that uh, they're relying on too rapid a time frame. They expect they, uh, Holtec is working with another group and they plan to buy and decommission six reactors at nearly the same time, which is, uh, you know, a lot on its plate. And they're also presuming, she, uh, and Healy says that they are also presuming that the federal government will have completely removed all spent fuel from the site by, uh, by 2063 so that no, no more money would be needed. But she said that that's not a sure thing. Uh, there's big questions about what's going to happen with the fuel that's there on the site. This is the nuclear fuel that, that was running the reactor, and now that it's shut down, it's still radioactive. And uh, one of the things Healy is pointing to is saying that their business model is not accounting for the fact that there's really no place for this fuel to go. 
Right. And she's also saying that, you know, there does need to be this environmental assessment. And there, there she has concerns also about the local, uh, the health of the local community and also the public infrastructure. She said there could be as many as 3,000 waste hauling trips a day. That's a lot of impact for the potentially for the community there. Uh, what does the NRC say here? Well, Patrick O'Brien, he's a spokesman for the Comprehensive Decommission for Comprehensive Decommissioning International, said that you know the NRC has concluded that Holtec met regulatory, financial, and all other requirements to qualify as a licensee, and he said that they respect the petitioner's right to file a legal motion, but they're not going to comment on this specific legal motion or action. And there's one other uh, legal action out there from an advocacy group that kind of mirrors what the uh, attorney general is pushing on here. Right. Right. Yes. Let me ask you about another story here, Cindy, and this is about mosquitoes with triple E. They've now been found in Wellfleet. It's been just an unprecedented summer for this, particularly on the Cape. Yeah, there have been hundreds of positive samples across the state, and uh, there are only about two last year. And so this is really the summer of triple E, which is scary. Eastern equine encephalitis has a 50% mortality rate in Massachusetts, and a woman uh, from southeastern Massachusetts has died of, of the disease. Now, this, these mosquitoes were found in Wellfleet after sampling was done. That was August 29th. They were found within the National, sea, national Seashore Boundaries. As were um, e mosquitoes, a sampling that was found positive also in North Truro last week was also within the boundaries of the seashore. It was that in the area of the head of the Meadow Beach. What has the seashore been, what's their response been here for this? Well, they're posting notices of the risks and telling beachgoers at feed booths, and uh, they're giving out information when fire fire permits are issued. Um, On the social media accounts, they're advising park visitors to wear long sleeves, use insect repellent with the active ingredient DEET, very important, and to avoid outdoor activities from evening into the early morning hours. However, they still are giving out the 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 permits. This, you know, the Cape is not considered an area of highest risk as as other communities in the state are. Uh, There has been a variety of response to Triple E across the Cape as things have come up. In Falmouth, they even went ahead and did some spraying to try to knock down the mosquitoes. Yeah, that was in a very uh, kind of uh, concentrated area. They did the spraying, and um, they haven't found triple E infected mosquitoes since that spraying. And the Cape Cod Mosquito Control Project wants people to know that they are still going out, and they are uh, killing the mosquito larvae in pools. Mm. They are continuing to do that. They are continuing to uh, to apply larvicide. This is a continuing project. The spraying was that one-time thing because Falmouth had so many cases. There were, like, you know, they had so many pools of infected mosquitoes. It was, they decided to take that action. Uh, Across the state, there's also been reported cases now of animals that have contracted triple E. Yeah, nine animals so far, eight horses and a goat. And there are five humans who are, um, who, uh, the latest human case was confirmed Thursday in a man from Middlesex County. And the one who died was from, was from Fairhaven. And animals are considered sort of an important signal. You know what I mean? Sort of, uh, they're like, they're just an alert system that that lets us know that this is this is these animals were bitten by mosquitoes that are carrying triple E and that bite human uh, that excuse me that bite mammals that feed on mammals because not all mosquitoes uh, feed on mammals. Now this disease, this virus triple E, it's it's uh, carried by birds and typically mosquitoes are biting the birds and that's what's spreading this across the Cape. We're, we're going to be looking at this for a little while, at least until the first frost, is what they say. Uh, the, the mosquito control crews though are continuing to sample for this, right? 
They are continuing to sample for this. And Gabrielle Sokolsky, she's an entomologist and assistant superintendent of the Cape Cod Mosquito Control Project, has said that one of her concerns is mosquito populations are going down a bit with a cold. And she's concerned that people won't apply. You know, if you're sitting outside and they're not flying at you on this cloud, that you might not put on DEET. And she's saying, but the mosquitoes that are still out there are much more likely to be infected with this virus. And that, that these are the older mosquitoes. They're more likely to be infected. And that you do need the DEET. You still need to have the DEET. You still need to, to take the precautions when you're outdoors at night. Mm. Really, <laughs> from, from dusk until dawn is what they're suggesting we need to be especially careful with now. Right, right. And, and, and like this said, this is unprecedented amounts of Tripoli in the state and on the Cape. But these are towns that have never, you know, have had, had Tripoli. I think they said Just, only four times in the last two decades before this year has Tripoli been detected on the Cape. So. Yeah, yeah. In two thousand six, positive pools turned up in Dennis and Barnstable, and pools tested positive in two thousand twelve and Brewster, and two thousand sixteen in Yarmouth. Because they test the whole pool, it's like they don't know how many mosquitoes mm-hmm. are infected. They they test a whole batch of about fifty mosquitoes together. And and already this year we've got four towns already identified. So it's right, a big big jump forward. Right, and last year. Uh, Last year, only two found statewide. This year, to date, 392 pools of triply infected mosquitoes have been found. In part because of the, uh, I know from earlier reporting on this, we were saying that the warm winter and spring contributed to, they think, contributed to the rise of triply across the region. Yes, a wet winter and wet spring, too. Cindy, Mashpee Wampanoag tribe's finances appear to be getting special scrutiny from the federal government. Tell us what we know here. Yes, the Mashpee Wampanoag Tribe's chief financial officer and his predecessor have been subpoenaed in recent weeks. Those are Treasurer Gordon Harris and former Treasurer Robert Hendricks. Now, our reporter uh, Tanner Stenning found that about uh, about these subpoenas when um, Tribal Council member Aaron Toby gave him minutes of a Tribal Council meeting. That's the executive decision-making body that showed that they had act, they were actually um, hiring legal counsel to represent uh, the officials. Uh, this uh, there's not a whole lot uh, out there about what they're looking for. Is that right? That's true. A source connected to a grand jury investigation uh, said that they're conne- uh, excuse me. A source that told our reporter that's connected to a grand jury investigation, but the U.S. Attorney's Office in Massachusetts said that they, they can neither confirm nor deny any investigation pertaining to the tribe. It's interesting here. Your reporter Tanner Stenning spoke with somebody uh, in the tribe who said that they would not be surprised if there were more subpoenas that come out. Right. Well, there is a lot of turmoil going on in the tribe right now and a lot of allegations of financial misconduct right now. Uh, Now, the way the grand jury works, they're just um, essentially hearing information about uh, all of this and they're going to decide whether there's a case here to be prosecuted. Yeah, the grand jury proceedings are secret, and two dozen citizens will serve as jurors, and they will they are empowered to investigate documents and hear testimony. Now, what's happening, there's a lot going on in the tribe right now. There is a recall election that is set for S- September 15th, and that is, um, this came after the tribal, co- tribal community collected enough signatures for a petition recall for Harris and also for, um, let's see, the tribal, uh, tribal chairman. Cedric uh, Cromwell, yes. Right, Cedric Cromwell. And and uh, now a petition drive against Council Secretary Anne Marie Eskew did not collect enough uh, peti- did not collect enough signatures. So it does not appear that she will be on the recall election set for September fifteenth. 
And all of this comes against the background of uh, a lot of questions about the finances surrounding the tribe's efforts to build a casino, uh, which has already uh, incurred more than $500 million in debt. So there's a lot at stake here for the tribe. Yeah, one of the petitions says that the tribe paid Cromwell, excuse me, paid Cromwell more than $1 million since he took office in 2009, and they have little to show for it. You mentioned the $500 million in debt. There's no casino, no jobs. There's a mortgage property in Taunton where the casino is proposed. Um, the gaming project there has been halted since the 2016 injunction was granted as part of a lawsuit filed by neighbors of the project. And there have been other allegations, too. A robocall that circulated in June among the tribe alleged that $250 million of money handled by the Mashpee Wampanoag Tribal Gaming Council is unaccounted for. Mm. Cindy, Cape lawmakers have been working to fund programs to fight the opioid epidemic. One of the things they're talking about here is a harm reduction strategy. And all this comes against the background of some recent information about how the fight against the opioid epidemic is going on in the state. Yes, the Massachusetts Department of Public Health released some data last month that had some good news and bad news. The good news was there has been a 10% dip in opioid-related deaths for the first six months of 2019 compared to the same time last year. But the data also suggests that in a staggering 92% of the fatalities, there was a positive screen for fentanyl involved. And this this is sort of an upward trend of the drugs contain, that drugs being used by people do contain fentanyl, which is a synthetic opioid, a, a very scary synthetic opioid, 80 to 100 times stronger than morphine used in pain management. Uh, and this drug is appearing in places where they never thought it would show up before in other drugs it's being mixed in. Yeah, it's been added to heroin to increase potency, but now it's also a state uh, Senator Julian Sears says it's showing up in amphetamines and cocaine as well. Uh, there has been a decrease in deaths, though, going along with all of this, and a lot of this is being attributed to these harm reduction strategies. Uh, State Senator Julian Sear has really been an advocate of these. Explain some of this for us. Yes, State Senator Julian Sear, as you mentioned, he does attribute a lot of this, the, the down, down, downward trend in deaths, to the, the wide availability of Narcan, which is the drug, which is the overdose reversal uh, medication. So for in the state, the state's budget for 2020, and includes more money for these harm, types of harm reduction programs, including uh, giving patients, uh, just to, giving hospitals $300,000 to stock Narcan kits, so they can give it to patients who are discharged from ERs, and also to make $20,000 in bulk purchases of, uh, for Narcan to distribute to public uh, service agencies and nonprofits on the Cape and Islands. Several of these uh, items and the budget state that are in the state budget were actually proposed by, by uh by Senator Sear. There's also $150,000 for a pilot program for test strips to detect fentanyl and substances. And Sear said, you know, this is a case where you really need to stay ahead of the curve because, as you mentioned, the fentanyl is showing up in all sorts of different drugs that people didn't expect. And there's a sense that the fentanyl itself is really responsible for a, a number of the overdose deaths here or an increasing number of overdose deaths. Yeah, yeah, it's so powerful that that is like the culprit and, um, and the, the overdose deaths that are still occurring. Part of the harm reduction strategy here, which includes these, uh, which includes more Narcan, which includes these uh, fentanyl detection strips, um, and also a needle exchange programs. Part of the thinking here is that if you can keep people alive, you can start to address the root causes of addiction. This is uh, kind of getting behind the disease itself and trying to unearth it. 
Yes, and a state rep- and state representative Randy Hunt from Sandwich said he supports these harm reduction efforts for that reason. He said that if you can keep people alive and address their addiction, you can off- often find that the root cause of addiction is mental health issues, which which people can then address. Uh, just briefly, the the drug fentanyl. One of the reasons it is so dangerous, it's so powerful, but it acts so quickly that oftentimes people who are overdosing don't have time to respond. Y- yes, and that is that's a huge issue with the fentanyl. That is, it's just a a nightmare drug for both uh, the people using it for their loved ones, for law enforcement, for everybody. This is the News Roundup. I'm Steve Junker. With us from the Cape Cod Times has been Cindy McCormick. Cindy McCormick. Cindy, thank you for joining us this morning. Have a great day. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.